This is a McKillop podcast. Welcome to Exploring Curiosity, Resiliency, and Hope, a podcast for times of challenge and transformation. We are excited for your presence as we learn, grow, and evolve from a multitude of voices and wisdom. This is a space for conversations and curiosity, finding ways to be resilient with all that is happening in our personal lives and the world, and maybe finding an embodied hope to live by. We join our host, Trevor, in conversation with Reverend Diane Strickland, who has personally experienced trauma, as well as worked with the communities of High River after the 2015 historical floods, and with Fort McMurray after their 2016 wildfires that consumed parts of the town. Also, she worked with numerous other persons and groups in exploring how to heal from trauma. You can't actually put yourself in the future anymore, and you kind of are locked in the present, and you can't imagine a future because you just simply don't have the frame to to do that. And um, that's kind of a scary thing, and I think I, I'm realizing more people are in that zone right now. Uh, they've been through this long enough to know, okay, they're they're not sure what they're going back to whenever we do a going back to thing. Diane is in her 33rd year as an ordained minister, now serving in the United Church of Canada as retired clergy, providing trauma-informed support in complex human situations of natural and unnatural disasters. She is a certified community and workplace traumatologist, compassion fatigue specialist therapist, critical incident responder, and an author and creator of trauma-informed resources, including the book Trauma-Informed Ministry, a primer for ministers and ministries. To the best of her knowledge, she is the first ordained minister in the United Church of Canada to have studied and certified for this special area of ministry. So Diane, it's so wonderful to have you on the podcast and I'm thankful for your time. And I'm I'm really curious as we dive into um, the area that you're exploring, what we'll discover and how it will, um, you know, maybe influence our lives uh, and our community. Is there something as we start that you really want people to know about yourself to please introduce yourself? Well, hello, Trevor and everyone, and thank you for the work you're doing and McKillop United Church, all, all that work you're doing with these podcasts is fantastic. I'm a trauma survivor and I'm also ordained for about 30 years. Um, I have a couple of master's degrees and then I went on and did a lot of more training and uh, certifications in this field when I realized that there was a lot of work to do in it. So that's, and I was a United Church person on the ground for our uh, floods in 2013, 2013, and then the wildfires in Fort McMurray in 2016. Mm. So I, I kind of talk about myself as someone who, who does natural and unnatural disaster work. That's kind of how I phrase it. And in, in being a trauma survivor, I have been diminished and I have become more as well. So I guess that's what you need to know about me. Yeah, trauma 
I, would you say that right now on this date that as a you know as a world and as a country like we must we're immersed in like l lots of different types of trauma mm -hmm. how would you talk about that yeah it's it's like um a real trial by fire for all of us so that when i do workshops one of the things i talk about is that there's nowhere you can go in the world and escape this disaster so that's the first scary piece of it, which adds a, a different dimension for us in looking at it, mm -hmm. to know that we cannot just escape it. And there's some way we have to learn to manage it. And, and there's the individual experience of it, and there's the collective experience of it. So we have um, both, both things we're managing all the time, how, how it's affecting us personally but how it's affecting our family, how it's affecting our community, our, our, um, our country at every level. There's a collective dynamic as well. Yeah, what, 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 tra what traumas, I know there's, an obvious, there's lots of obvious ones, but <laughs> what traumas would you say that we're facing sort of on a collective stage right now? I, I think we don't know what the future is there's there's actually a symptom called um, oh shoot it's gone right out of my head oh well here's what here's what it means um, you can't actually put yourself in the future anymore and you kind of are locked in the present and you can't imagine a future because you just simply don't have the frame to to do that and um, that's kind of a scary thing and I think I, I'm realizing more people are in that zone right now. Uh, they've been through this long enough to know, okay, they're, they're not sure what they're going back to whenever we do a going back to thing, if we even will recognize it. That's part of our anxiety is that we don't know. In, in a musician's workshop, uh, I talked to someone afterwards who called me and they said the most uh, important thing that they heard in that moment was to understand that the grief that they're feeling about what they've lost is not always clear about what it is they're grieving. They don't even know yet what they've lost. They don't even know yet what is gone and what might not return or will return in a different shape that may not be pleasing to them. So. The grief is 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 not even clear for us. Sometimes. Wow. So, so I so I hear you saying like we're we're in we're still in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, out west here, we've had uh, the wildfires um, in in different parts of the west, and the smoke. And you think of Lytton, B.C. Mm -hmm. uh, we we're we're witnessing and experiencing different ways. Uh, the trauma of climate change mm -hmm. uh, and then for some people uh, either their experience that say Afghanistan the trauma there um, and then there's all these you know we have the trauma of the residential schools yes. and the uh, then we have the trauma of the missing mm -hmm. and two-spirit indigenous women and I mean I just you just keep going and it's yes. like and then in all that I hear you saying is that with and then we have personal traumas and uh, like uh, violence. It's just the yeah. list goes. I'm it getting uh, sort of depressed as I talk about it. Um, and I hear you saying that 
when we when we're experiencing that like the future is we can't even think of the future and we're we're here in the present mm -hmm. and it's sort of uh, we get this anxiety which i think everybody's feeling uh, as they fight about what normal looks like now yeah so yeah. to help us understand this c can you sort of say like what is trauma <laughs> like yeah. like do you have a great uh, a great uh, way to explain what trauma is yeah yeah it's uh well i have it actually and i had it in my primer of course you don't have it in front of me but it's it's when something happens that is so overwhelming that um you are unable to to work with it normally and it generates symptoms at in every category of your life it has an effect on you it has an impact so that whatever your um Whatever your system is for managing life, it's overwhelmed. And and that can be temporary, like it doesn't have to be a trauma that, you know, goes on forever. Not everybody gets PTSD. Sometimes it's it's a time limited, like an acute trauma that's goes on with all the symptoms, but after about a month it eases up. But one of the most interesting definitions that I have is is Peter Levine, who's who's a leader in the field of, of trauma in a particular area. Um, and he says trauma is not actually what happens to you or to us, but it's what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. And that's really where things become difficult for us is when we, we, are un, we don't have anyone around us who can receive the, the experience we're having without telling us to pull out of it or to, you know, stop, stop being negative or, um, you know, you need to put that behind you or, you know, in religious communities, well, isn't it great that, you know, the gospel says we, we have resurrection and new life and we don't have to do that. Uh, we don't have to feel that way for any length of time, which, you know, you don't hear a lot in the United <laughs> Church, but you actually, um, oh. there's a shelf life. A lot of ministers in particular, can, and family members can just get so sick of the person who can't get over what happened. Oh, oh yeah, and it, it can even become even more toxic. It's like, well, you know, this was this was God's design. Yes. Like, yeah. like accept it and yeah. toughen up. Yeah, there's so I I think um, what we get a little frozen in this experience we're having because we're not exactly sure what we can count on. And it's peeling away all the, the insulation we have had about our lives. And a lot of that is, is, has to do with our place in society. It has to do with our, our, how we identify uh, racially, uh, sexually, um, economically. You know, mm -hmm. All of those things um, can be insulating factors. And they're peeling away so fast, we can't even grab them back. And, and we're having to face, okay, what am I going to do with this whole uh, missing children, graves found thing? What am I going to do with that? Yeah. And how yeah. can I pick which disaster to focus on? And as I hear you talking, I, I heard you say that I, I, what I feel is this deep isolation. Like if there's no one there to mm -hmm. witness. Yes one's personal response to even per personal trauma or mm -hmm. community trauma 
I feel this, there's this deep isolation then. Yes, yes, that is, um, yeah. And of course, in a pandemic, we have had to be isolated for other reasons. So we, we're having yeah. it happening. And, and a lot of us are, are used to worrying about other people first. Um, so we don't even pay attention to ourselves to see how this is really affecting us. And, and uh, I've seen that in another dimension in natural disasters where, um, you know, people are over-managing and they're over-functioning. Um, and they don't, they, uh, they think when they do that, that they won't have any symptoms. And everybody around them could tell them what their symptoms are. <laughs> 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 but but you know we we're so busy trying to and it, it's not a criticism it's like this is what we do we try to help other people and then yeah. at some point you know we are just not self-aware that's where you end up and so there's crash those and dynamics burn. Yeah, yeah crash and burn yeah um and from your work with with trauma is is it how would you describe it is it it's it's a, if we're isolated and we have no witness for it, then does it become embodied? Does I mean, do we hold it in our bodies? And what? Yeah. If so, what does that look like? Yeah. We have. Um, I I talk about uh, five categories where we have symptoms: uh, the physical symptoms, we have emotional symptoms, we have cognitive symptoms, we have behavioral symptoms, and we have spiritual symptoms. And you've actually kind of mentioned all of them in one way or another but those are the five categories so in in this primer I wrote I I it's kind of like overwhelming because there's uh, about five pages that are just lists of things that could be symptoms uh, they could be other things too which is why I continually say you need to see a doctor because these things can also mean other things um, yeah. self-diagnosis is not really helpful here um, but yeah, your, your physical symptoms can be just exhaustion, for example. Absolute exhaustion all the time. And, and you know, what you used to do in a day, you couldn't do in a week. And, and that's really hard. And at oh. the very, very beginning of this, you know, I talked to, for example, clergy and saying, you know, you've got to pace yourself. You've got to change your expectations or you're going to fail. Because if you try to do the same thing that you used to do, you will fail. And that's going to then affect your mental health. And, uh, yeah. you know, some people, you know, they, they didn't want that to be true. And then six months later, they were talking to me about <laughs> knowing what it meant now. But it, it's hard because ne if you've never been in this situation, um, it's hard to believe that yeah. it really is going to impact you as much as it does. So any emotional things are just that, um, you know, we, we may cry more easily or more often. We may, you know, have a, a short fuse in our temper. Um, so, you know, those are emotional symptoms that we have. Yeah. Uh, cognitive, which, you know, I, I think in one of my my videos was I called it Corona brain, which is just you can't remember anything, you can't think straight, you know, you do the same thing five times, and uh, you know that kind of thing. Behavioral things, you retreat perhaps, um, 
you don't make yourself available the way you used to be because you're not sure who you are anymore and it's a little unnerving or some people have even more uh, harmful behavioral things where they're uh, they're they become violent or they they self-medicate or they self-harm those are behavioral things uh, that can go terribly wrong and and spiritual things some of what you've you've touched upon is there can be a real crisis of faith here for some people because their theology is not up to what is happening Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and all of those little homey sayings like god never gives you anything you can't handle or this is got to be God's will, or even the, the, the non-religious version of that, which is everything happens for a reason. Um, none of that holds the experience and helps you to find or make meaning out of it that lasts. You might last for six weeks, but it's not going to last for, you know, two years. Yeah. So there's a spiritual dynamic about how they're going to make meaning in it. Yeah. And I, I love how you say that um, it's sort of like stress. There's good stress and there's bad stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't know if you ever say it's good trauma, but like, for instance, you know, you go into the hospital and you have surgery. That's traumatic. Yeah. And like you said, maybe you have the resiliency to get over it in a mm-hmm. couple months. Like mm-hmm. you'll go through these symptoms as a natural process because it is you know heart surgery is traumatic it is, <laughs> but yeah. but then uh, some some other traumas just we don't seem to they seem to become part of us and uh, you you've brought up in there how epigenetically that trauma can it can become part of us C- can you talk about epigenetics and trauma and and like how how do we how do some people get through trauma or integrated and others don't yeah and and that's really important because uh, we can spend a lot of time thinking that people are just lazy or they have a character deficit because they can't move on or you know or they're just using it as an excuse um and often we don't understand that um and, and I'm really happy that we read this now more often. We hear people talking about intergenerational trauma. Now, this is a whole field which is under the epigenetics uh, umbrella, um, which is looking specifically at how traumatic impact is passed on. And so that you might have symptomologies that appear that are triggered without actually having the experience from which they came so you're it's not that your your genes are different it's it's that the mechanisms that act on your genes they're different they're changed in um, in what is passed on they're passed on differently and so they generate uh, symptomology all on their own when they when they read something that could be the same thing mm-hmm. and so when we look at groups of people, um, we, we cannot look and say, well, why can't they get over it? Everyone's response is unique, and it's, it's so deep in the, in the yeah. gene pool um, that you, you, can't, you just can't expect anyone 
to be behaving any particular way you do not know. And if you're dealing with a group of people who we know has been traumatized, like all of our groups, uh, whether they're, they're women, whether they're racial groups or, um, you know, in any kind of cultural prejudices they've endured, uh, poverty, people who've lived in poverty, people who have endured domestic violence or come from that kind of experience, uh, veterans, you know, people yeah. that have seen armed combat, all of those people could be passing on um, and, and receiving a whole epigenetic world that they actually didn't live in. Yeah. Yeah. So there, the impact on them is more, and, and that's why when I created the model that I use in this uh, primer, I chose this a six-principle model that um, when I chose it five years ago, I, I I came from the I adapted the one from the CDC, which nobody knew what the CDC was then. <laughs> they do, but they're the only ones that had a six-principle that specifically invited us to be aware of and sensitive to the fact that we can identify some groups um, who have had identifiable trauma within our society. And when you can do that, you need to deliberately um, work more intentionally with them. They may Mm -hmm. not have those things, Mm -hmm. but they may. And that doesn't mean that other people who aren't in those groups don't have them because things like domestic violence and, yeah. and sexual abuse um, yeah. and sexual assault, those are things that were hidden and are still yeah. with people in our churches and in our neighborhoods who had those experiences that have never spoken them. They are like the yes. Peter Levine group. They have never had someone who has been an empathetic companion in that experience yeah and and for you like i I really appreciate we're exploring the complexity of this and not because it is complex it is yeah um it there's a lot of is there a lot of shame around trauma oh yes um it's it's one of the big things um we shame people for not being who we want them to be especially if we knew them before as a certain kind of person and then they're not that person anymore they can't be who we want them to be Uh, it's a shaming tool but also um, you know there's blame shifting that happens and gaslighting all of those terms aren't they wonderful though we we had this president in the united states and i don't have to explain what those mean anymore Because, you know, they're always talking about that. But that's, those are really common experiences. Um, So people don't, they don't want to be made uncomfortable. They don't want to brush up against because they feel powerless themselves to help someone. Or they just, they're overwhelmed by their own story and they simply can't bear another one. And so we, that's another way we isolate people. So, yeah. if so, you're saying that um, one of the reasons that we don't work with shame in our churches or personally or other things is because we're touching each other's shame and we don't know what to do and we all shut down. 
yeah and and we um we don't want to be a part of that um you know that's not why people go to church they want to feel good when they go to church um or the famous thing they want to get their needs met <laughs> which as long as they don't involve anything shameful <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah it's go ahead i, I mean so how, how did how did you find the inner courage yourself then to to work with trauma and and to want to you know through your primary trauma informed ministry uh like bring it to the surface how how do you find the I'm really fascinated. How do you find, mm -hmm. I could say, courage or resiliency to work on this? Well, yeah, courage is huge. And most of the clients that I work with, are that's their courage is, is uh, very encouraging. Um, I, I think I did a lot of work. I mean, I started reading everything I could read about this and started to do theology and started to read the Bible differently. And, and began to sort of jot down ideas I was having about this and when I sort of thought okay I think it's like this and and I had theologically I had located it in Holy Saturday which is a strange day where we don't know <laughs> anything about the resurrection and all we know is that the worst thing ever has happened and and they're traumatized. And if we read the resurrection counts, they're they're obviously traumatized. For weeks they're traumatized. And and have all the symptoms manifest all the symptoms. Um, and I feel like Holy Saturday is the day that's telling us, um, that God is telling us there's going to be a period of time where you're kind of in no person's land. And and having companions in that time and someone who will be with you and believe in you when you don't. Um, that was, that's a powerful experience. Um, and I think ministers know about that, you know, when you, you're with somebody and you say, I'm going to believe for you because I understand you can't right now. And you just need to remember that I'm doing it and trust yeah. me. And that's kind of the, the notion of, of how you begin to do theology and and then I also had to uh, yeah there was a, a, a courageous moment of realizing well there's some people who are not going to like this <laughs> and I <Yes>. had to <laughs> and uh, telling the truth um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know you pay a price for that sure yeah Oh yeah, I mean, um, uh, uh, we have a wide audience uh, listening. So, and I, I sometimes don't even know all the people's spiritual places or if they're really Christian or not. But right. um, we all know a couple things. All people, a lot of people want to come to church and hear a good joke and feel happy and go home. <laughs> so, and that's okay. But I, I love how you talk about Holy Saturday. Can we stay with that just a little longer? Sure. Yeah. I think it's really delightful. Um, I've always found Holy Saturday this liminal space. It's really hard, isn't it? There's like a, I know other people may not be Christian or have the same experience, but it, for me, Holy Saturday has always been this deep, it's like this, there's like this deep space 
and it's like this waiting and it seems like even you know uh, yeah and so can you say a little more about uh the how you discovered uh, trauma in the in the christian scriptures the hebrew scriptures and then jesus life and and what that says to you and to us Well, he certainly talked to people who were obviously traumatized by um, being socially outcast, being poor beyond belief. Uh, it's not just the story of Holy Week. I mean, I, that's what I've written yeah, about, but sure. I'm actually working now on Advent and, and the Christmas story and how yeah. it does actually the same thing. It, oh. It's situated, like the incarnation is situated yes. in, a, in a massive trauma. Of a mess. Yeah, it's a total mess. <laughs> that's me. I mean, refugees. Yes. Uh, yeah, a 16-year-old you know, woman. That's yeah. right. It's even interesting that although Jesus sometimes, in one instance, they they kept in where he sort of participates in maybe trauma with a Syrophoenician yes. Greek woman. Yes. So he's not like this perfect... Uh, exactly. He's, like he he's hasn't participating got it down. too. Yeah. yeah. And, also, mm-hmm. one one big uh, thing against Jesus is he never really directly affects the trauma of slavery in the Roman Empire. No, no. I mean, he, so you're right. I mean, that's a huge trauma. But yeah, so tra- say more about about what you're. Yeah, I think it's good for us to hear this. Well, I I think that um, by the constant facing in Scripture of some resolution some places and no resolution in others and the ongoing struggle that that is mercy and justice coming together in our lives um, all of that is uh, for me it's saying that's what I live in too I, I live in that I'm and so for me to think that things are going to tidy up neatly in my life is a little bit silly. <laughs> and, oh, please. <laughs> and and things, some things will get tidied up. Yes, some things, yeah. but but not everything. And and uh, it is a generational thing. I think that we all, every generation, thinks it's going to solve something. And and it's very hard at this stage of my life. At sixty-five, I look and think, well, I guess I'm not going to solve as much as I'd hoped. And, and you keep, but you keep working. And, and part of that for me is about the, what I call the, you know, the reaching out with, with one hand, you're holding on to the people that went before you. And with the other, you're reaching out to whoever is going to come back, come after you. And you're holding on to humanity. And you're doing what you, what's your work to do in your life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's really difficult and it's profoundly unfair um, what some people live with every day and part of what this pandemic has done and everything else that has come into the news feed is the this this constant message that we are all connected and we don't always want to be no like it's too much we we don't you know just even when we we decided Canada decided to give all their J and J vaccines away to some poor people somewhere, because 
we weren't going to take them. <laughs> we were afraid they might hurt us. So we'll oh, give yes. those away. You know. They were, yes. Yes. It's, our privilege gives us this. It's like the vaccination rummage sale factor. <laughs> That's right. You, know? you have AstraZeneca. You have yeah. J and J. Because we got Lex. You know, we hoarded everything, yeah. and then yeah. then we gave it. Started to give it away. So all of these dynamics have revealed to us the. Um, the fact that we are connected, we, we cannot rest as a world until everyone is, is safe. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, we have to mm-hmm. accept that we must operate in a much smaller arena of travel, for example, in interaction. Oh. And yeah. the, the appeals to nationalism, um, they're, you know, and I'm very patriotic and I love being Canadian. I never miss an opportunity to sing the anthem ever um i'll vote in every election (laughs) i do all of those things but um this experience those things are kind of falling down a bit and that's terrifying to understand that we can no longer insulate ourselves So do you think right now we're in Holy Saturday? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we haven't got out of it in no. the pandemic. No. Like we're like. You're in it for the, a long time. You're in it. And it, uh, this is like, uh, would you, would you, uh, yeah. So I'm speechless because I have so much going through my head. But one of the things as I listen to you, I, I'm making this connection with like our anti-masking and our anti-vaccination and our freedoms and then people getting really uptight about duty of care and safety and this conflict is this is this part of the holy saturday i yes. mean is this yeah 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 i mean um if you read the stories about what the disciples did even after you see they had the resurrection and they they still were in holy saturday they were how much later they were in a room with the door, doors all locked and they had all been oh, told yeah. and some of them had been there and knew mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. gospel was and they were terrified and when jesus yeah. came the they made him prove things and like we are the holy saturday goes on like a hangover mm. um even after we're out of danger yeah because it's trauma it's trauma yeah well even the uh early uh church didn't like the ending of mark it was too traumatic that that's why uh, yeah i write about that I, yeah I, it's uh how many times do they have to try to fix that ending um and i and hey, i think i love can you that share the, can you share the ending with folks that may not know okay uh, the first yeah. ending of mark um yes. the disciple who finds the tomb empty runs away terrified yeah. And that's yeah. the end of the gospel. Yeah, what a way to end. Yeah, so so afterwards that had to get cleaned up because it was not it was negative. You know, we don't like negative endings. We want a happy ending or it's not the gospel. Yeah. So and, if we stayed with the first ending, what do you think the healing is is to 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 be with that with your trauma work? Like what what would that it, that speak it's to that's us? for me I I think all of the endings are do that and and mm-hmm. the first one is 
is that that is what it's like sometimes not to know you run away you run away and people have sometimes just have to run away because they can't face what it might mean and it's terrifying mm. terrifying wow so i hear a, i hear an affirmation it's okay to run away yeah. Is that what I hear you saying? Not permanently, but some people <laughs> Not run permanently. away. Yeah. And and to be afraid is is actually rational. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next ending is a is a lovely little piece that I actually like that one a lot. It's kind of a theological statement, and it tries to uh, tell you, and this is what this means, and it tries to clean it up a little bit to tell you what it means something okay, and then and then the the last ending. Um, it just borrows from the other Gospels and, and puts in yeah. some some of the things that Jesus did when he returned mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm. the disciples were up to and you know so it, it tries to put life went on and this is what it looked like yeah so which captures both our discomfort with our initial impact and secondly, the, the need to make meaning out of it. And then third, to then begin put the story together with what did happen afterwards. Hmm. Hmm. Um, it's it's so, a very clumsy yeah, thing. Trauma is. makes us clumsy and, yeah. and we're, we lose our our really smooth technique and <laughs> we do <laughs> and, and we, you know, we we make more mistakes and and this is the the piece that's really important is the most powerful thing we can do is accept ourselves Mm. in that Uh, and that is what changed my life was to realizing i i kept i kept failing i kept not being able to be who i was I could be some things, but not other things. And I didn't always know which things I wasn't going to be able to do until I tried to do them. And then, you know, egg all over my face. But I had to sit down and say, I have to accept myself because this is who I am now. I don't know, understand fully why. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'll ever be better than this. I mm. don't know. I don't know if I'll be the person in the Mark story who who just is afraid and runs. I don't yeah. know if I will ever make meaning. And in that moment of accepting myself, um, and sometimes it was because I was still caring for people. I was still mm, doing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was, I was actually doing a pile of volunteer work for a website, and I felt like a big fraud. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, then I remembered somebody who said that to me once and I said well don't think of yourself as a fraud think of yourself as a fraud artist (laughs) (laughs) and I thought okay I'm gonna be a fraud artist and yes and but I would have to kind of every time I talked to someone um, either in my job or in my volunteer work I would have this moment of who do you think you are Hmm. and and I would have to accept this is who I am. Yeah. Um, apparently, they're coming to me, and I would then pray, mm-hmm. God, please come, mm. because I'm not sure what to do. And every time I did that, it worked. Yeah. It worked. And so, 
um, accepting yourself and participating in God's compassion for us is is really the way forward. It's where you get to the more. Remember, I said I was diminished. Yes. yes. But I'm more. So I do things now that I actually never could do before. Yeah. Or or was good at, but I wasn't really good at, and and now. I'm really better at it hmm. and it's because of that so we have uh, opportunities all the way along um, and that you can't rush <laughs> you can't say I'm ready now I want to get yeah, over the that's hump. right <laughs> yes yeah it's not magical it's not yeah because you no. you talk about in your primer at the very end about the author that you do say you know I'll I'll just my life was interrupted by C uh, PTSD in 2009. So mm-hmm. so for you there there's an, a personal experience uh, that you're integrating with research and academics and theology. Yes, that's exactly what's happened and um, what's interesting is you know I've been very interested in what I call flattening the church and and that is to simply be in the world. Um, and I, yes, I'm an ordained minister, but I, I'm not doing a lot in congregational work. Occasionally trying to be a resource to, to that and to ministers and certainly have clergy on my client list. But what I wanted is to be able to be um, a disciple in my life with people who may or may not be anything to do with that mm-hmm. and and to see that that you know Jesus did that a lot you know, Jesus yeah. served and spoke their truth his truth and because people you know when I do work this work they always want to know they do well why are you doing this and who are you yeah. what is your faith yes. um, and then you can say it really yeah. easily and yeah. um I've had more in-depth conversations with people who insist they don't have any faith <laughs> than, than sometimes the ones I had at church. <laughs> well, well, you know the um, what I what I what I hear from you. I hope it's correct. Is that um, is that like we have this tr- we have trauma. So like I have my trauma. You have your trauma. We have our trauma. But it. If if we're looking at the model of like the crucifixion, Holy Saturday, then the resurrection, you're talking about it's okay to run and run at first, terrified, and then you have to come to some terms, and you might get clean it up, you may not. But it reminds me of 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 a quote from I forget what page it is in your prime, but it's, it says you say, "What if death is not defeated by Easter, but subordinated within life?" I mean. I mean, maybe we could say, what if uh, trauma yeah. is not defeated by Easter, mm-hmm. but yeah. subordinated within life? I mean, that's um, that's one of the most important things uh, I, I challenge is what I call the opposition, the the false ultimacy of mm-hmm. of setting life and death as totally oppositional, yeah. and that that's what the gospel has done um, is there's one and there isn't the other, which is why we want people to pull themselves together when they have a death experience you know we want because because 
you know, life is triumph. And really what the gospel is saying, and, and I love that message in, in Paul, which of course I don't have in front of me either, where we uh, carry, you, yes. you know that, we yeah. uh, carry the death of Jesus. Yes, in our body. And that's what we learn to do with every single traumatic life experience in which something dies and we lose something. What the gift of, of new life is going forward and carrying that so that it's not interpreting everything that's happening, but it's a part of the story. Hmm. So new life carries the old. So what if I hear you saying if we make uh, death and life oppositional dualistic, as you also write about, and I, you know, lots of people would talk that if we make that dualistic, then do I hear you saying that it's hard to integrate um, death, trauma, suffering, and it just gets sort of, that's when it gets sub, uh, sublimated into our body and we, we react to life from trauma instead of yes. reacting from life from healing. Yeah. And, and we don't have it as a, a self-awareness. This is what happened. Oh, and sometimes we, you know, we'll go back and, and we'll get triggered by something that we don't see coming or, or um, catches us off guard. And, and it's, it's opened up that story again. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a chaplain who's retired now, but he, he talked about the trauma channel. Everybody has a trauma channel in their life. And they're trauma all in channel. there. Yeah, okay. they're all in there. And in little boats? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. Uh. <laughs> and and, uh, and when, when one is triggered, they all go live. And so uh, you may be able to, that's why coping tools are important because that's how you dial the alarms down and they, they go back to sleep. Okay. Um, but if you don't, suddenly, you know, you're, it's like you're firing off in 101 directions and, and you're out of, out of control or out of proportion responses. And so that's when um, it's good to, to have done this self-awareness of this is what happened to me and here's what's different about me and here's mm. what's more about me mm -hmm. and I know what I lost and I know what I've gained and now I know how to carry this story and if we think about it is the stories of people that inspire us are the stories of people who had pretty awful things happen to them. Those oh, are the, yeah. Those are the ones where we, we want to hear how did they how did they overcome that? And how did they move past it? How did they which is all really about how did they learn to carry that? Yeah. So it doesn't eat them up every day. I, I know like <laughs> like just like take something that's historical like uh, Holocaust survivors. How some people and you can completely understand we're totally broken and a, a shell and then you got others um, that come through it and and speak hope and resiliency yeah I mean it's uh, yeah do you have anything that, that like pops into your mind like why that, that's true or or other people that really come to you that sort of been that for yourself 
that well, that inspiration. Oddly, yeah, oddly enough, I have one that that everyone's surprised at, uh, and it's uh, see, I'm so bad with names. It's the woman that sang on the Britain's Got Talent thing, and she, oh, you know, she sang that song from Les Mis, "I Dreamed a Dream." I can't think of her name. Oh, oh well. She she sang this song. I dreamed a dream, and and uh, oh, Susan Boyle. Susan Boyle, and yeah. the reason she's one of my people is because she continues to struggle, hmm. and she continues to make headway, and then she has to kind of gather herself back up again, and give herself time to manage what she's managing. But I think of the courage it took for her to go out there and sing that song when everybody was going to laugh at her because she didn't look right and yes. and she didn't sound right. And then yep. she opened her mouth and sang this incredible song. And and uh, so that's that's kind of a, a popular one that mm-hmm. I put. I like to tell people because people want me to tell them, you know, great and famous, important people. But no, it's Susan Boyle, and and I watch sometimes the little documentaries about her afterwards, and yeah. you can see her vulnerability, you can see yeah. her her clumsiness, yeah. you can see that she's awkward, and yet there are also times when you see her doing something incredibly profound with another person, and mm-hmm. giving them something, uh, a mm-hmm. word that is really deep wisdom, and that's sort of what it's like um, for someone who is that you know she's 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 had a lot yeah and other people it's less than that so they they as I say they clean up better (laughs) (laughs) oh there's such a pressure isn't there to be perfect isn't that part of the problem with trauma is this perfectionistic narcissistic neurotic need Uh, it's just it's so heavy And that's where every single person who's listening to me right now, I can tell them this, that if if you do not adjust your um, bar of expectations for yourself, you will be in trouble. You have got to to be kind and and remember that you would do that for anyone else. Mm -hmm. If you would say you're expecting too, too much of yourself, you need to, you know, you don't have to do that. You only have to do this. But with ourselves, we are often uh, terrible taskmasters, and we set ourselves up to fail. And clergy, of course, uh, yeah, are masters Yeah, I'm raising my hand up. Yeah, yeah, we're masters of that. So, like, like I love to make stuff practical, and I, I'm, we are doing that. But as we're coming near the end of this mm-hmm. first session, um, here we are. We're, we're in a pandemic we're in holy saturday we don't want to be here we're doing all sorts of things to numb ourselves or to push to get out or like all sorts of crazy stuff um uh, and there's all other i mean there's so much happening it's sort of bonkers i said in a sermon recently (laughs) so what i yeah can you offer some like um some some practical stuff to end this session to help us who are listening well, some of our leaders have said it. Bonnie Henry, Henry said it at the very beginning when she said, be kind. Okay, um, be kind. The, the enormous power of kindness. Mm. The enormous power of it. 
um, right now you can be king of the world if you're kind, <laughs> like if you <laughs> queen of the world. You you can be the person who changes someone's whole day. Yeah. If you choose to instead of just you know going by there seeing them mm. and being kind and thanking them, you can change their whole day. That's an enormous. That's and one of the principles of of the model, the six principle model, which we still haven't got to. Is, that's next session. Yeah, that's, <laughs> is empowerment, and okay. and so I want to empower you to say you actually have this resource, mm-hmm. and you may not feel like being kind, but the moment you start being kind, it's it changes everything. So that's the first thing, and and the second um, is is also. Um, to create safety for yourself by lowering the expectations. And when I uh, work with my traumatized people, and yeah. sometimes they are, you know, in desperate situations, I, I tell them they, they pick one thing, one goal every day, and it starts with brushing your teeth. Um, uh, that's usually where I suggest they yeah. start. Um, and if they've done that, they've achieved what they need to achieve that day. And what happens is if we, if we back the truck up farther than we want to and that we think we have to to fix this we will get ahead faster so if you if you back up all the way and say well all I have to do today is brush my teeth you will succeed and you mm, will build mm-hmm. upon success and then the next day maybe you'll make your bed you know <laughs> maybe you'll put a load of laundry in like that's where we have to start with ourselves and with each other what what can you do today to succeed mm. and build it and accept mm-hmm. yeah and be humiliated yeah there's a lot of humiliation in this game <laughs> uh, well, but you know that's yeah. theological too no no you know richard Rohr. i don't know if you know richard Rohr. he um he prays to be humili- humiliated once a day uh as a way to break through his male ego yeah i was gonna know? say that's hard because you know who, who he is but yes other groups are humiliated regularly and, oh and they're humiliated yeah. by no by by uh the system yes the Im- disempowerment yes. um yeah and prejudice yeah yeah so be be kind and set your expectations lower yeah so that you can succeed so, so you can succeed and build your successes that way and you get way you get ahead way faster it'll take you three times as long as you try if you try to do more than you really can do at this moment hmm. i i hear workaholic ministers and uh other folks uh, you know <laughs> saying you know but if we just power through if we just get some whole bunch of stuff done, we'll feel better. But like, it's almost, uh, yeah. it's paradoxical what you're suggesting. Yes. And I was the queen of power it through that. Yeah. That was one of my long-term coping schools, skills that I cannot use anymore. And, mm. and I tell people that one of the reasons they can't use it now is because all of the things they used, most of the things that they used to recover from doing that are not available to them anymore. Mm-hmm. Like going out with friends. Yeah. You know, going on a vacation, having yep. coffee, you know, yep. night out, just getting away. Yeah. Yeah. We can't do the things that we used 
to help us get over having done that. Wow. Just think why the resistance to restaurants and bars is so great. I'm not saying it's not good or bad, but, you know, you go out, you, you party, you you don't have to, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. all this building thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. What, what I hear you saying is, from your perspective around trauma, not not trying to make us victims, but everything's so tightly wound together that when we start to take something apart, maybe we just yeah. have to go really simple instead of trying to figure it all out. Yes, and that's one thing I talk a lot about is that um, our coping tools are usually things that we learn to do as children and just kind of fine-tuned them and made them a little more sophisticated in order to succeed as adults. Yeah. And now they don't work. They're not working. They're not yeah. delivering what they, we, they usually deliver. So we have to learn new ones. And we resist that. And I talk about that in there. It's this, all the categories of resistance we have to accepting we have to learn anything new or do anything differently. Or that we don't already yeah. know what we yeah. need to know. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, we've really circled around a lot of places. Yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe we really haven't answered people's questions i don't know it this is a big subject isn't it it is it's huge it's massive and and it's developing i mean it's 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 got so much energy in it right now and and i can't keep up yeah with stuff that uh is coming out and that i realize oh gee this is this is actually better than what i was doing before Um, (laughs) well that's good to know yeah it's but that's how fast it's happening and it's yeah. very hard i think because it's a field that impacts everything that's why trauma informed models are used mm-hmm. in education in healthcare in law enforcement in nonprofits and service agencies but you know i have a group of people people buying my primer not because they need it for ministry because they're living with a traumatized person and this mm. is the only resource that has given them any kind of a model that makes sense. Yeah. That's well, grounded in a theology. Yes. So be kind. I'm, I'm, it's like a three-point sermon. Yeah, I'm <laughs> reflecting you. Be kind and lower your expectations. Yeah. And, and, and learn to carry the losses. This has been part one of a two-part series. Please join us for part two of this series as we join Reverend Strickland to explore the six principles of a trauma-informed life. To help create new patterns and ensure safety, adapt to new vulnerabilities, accept losses, and then live life in its fullness. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, consider rating it, and sharing it with family and friends. This podcast is produced by McKillop United Church. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for the generosity of all of our donors. If you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com or mckillopunited.ca slash donate. Peace and blessings to you.